Hey everybody, welcome back. Um, today on the podcast, we have one of my favorite people that I've met throughout all of my travels, Justin Wren. Justin is the founder of Fight for the Forgotten, which we'll learn more about. Um, Google Fight for the Forgotten. Um, we are also both members of the Onnit Pro Team. Um, Justin's a professional MMA fighter, um, and he's just a phenomenal person. And I, and I don't want to say too much in the intro because I want him to tell you about Fight for the Forgotten, but he's got an amazing story. He's an amazing human being, one of the most genuine, sweetest human beings uh, that I've ever met in my entire life. Um, so, yeah. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Onnit. You can head to onnit.com and use code SATSUNG at checkout. That's S-A-T-S-A-N-G at checkout, and you're going to get a discount. Um, I'm really hyped right now still on this Alpha Brain Black Label. It's a new blend of Alpha Brain, a little higher dosage, a sprinkling of caffeine in there. Uh, it's just done wonders for me, and my cognitive word recall, uh, memory, my focus is just insane. I take it every time before I record a podcast, do an interview, or play a show. Um, and if you don't believe me that it works, you can even go to onnit.com and you can try a free trial of Alpha Brain. Yes, I said free. It's free. You just got to pay for shipping. And they'll send you a little bottle of Alpha Brain. You can try it for yourself. See if I'm full of shit or not. I'm telling you that I'm not, and you can test it out yourself. Anywho, without further ado, my friend Justin Wren. Justin Wren, my dear brother, welcome to the Satsung Podcast. My brother, thank you so much. I love your background. Thank you. Jacket looks fly with it, <laughs> the matching Montana flag. I think I'm partially colorblind. So you, look, you look great. Good, good. Dude, is that I'm really. The Montana flag? Yeah, yeah, it is. That's it. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah it is. It's, uh, it's pretty great. I have different portions of it tattooed on various parts of my body. Yeah. Well, um, take that jacket off. Yeah. I, uh, the thing I'm excited about is I get to talk to uh, one of the best things to ever come out of Montana. That's right, baby. You, you my man. That's on. <laughs> Dude, I'm excited to talk to you. We've known each other for a while, and we're good friends. But there's mm -hmm. all, And I always like when I um, – like a lot of times when I'm doing a podcast, I have to like make a list of shit that I'm going to ask a person or like, you know, I have to come up with an idea of like, okay, how can I dig – and I'm always, uh, it's always a treat for me when I'm talking to someone that I'm close with, because I can just be like, no, I'm not going to make a list. I'll just talk about some shit. Um, and for you, I'm pretty familiar with, um, with your story. There's like a few gaps and a few little things that I've had ideas to talk about. Um, you have a pretty amazing story. Um, like, I mean, even starting from the beginning, like we see bullying um with young kids and it affects people so differently and what's really interesting to me is like those stories of you know like you being bullied and then becoming one of the baddest motherfuckers to ever walk god's green earth um george st pierre was another kid that got bullied and it's so crazy to think of a guy like you or gsp being bullied because it's like you know, you ascend to a, to a level where you're using your body for combat and become successful at that. And that's like, 
I just don't see a world where someone could bully you. I've seen you wrestle and that seems like a bad idea. Um, <laughs> so talk, I guess what I'm curious about, tell, tell a little bit um, just about getting bullied as a kid and really like how you transitioned into wrestling. Cause I think that's such a cool thing of like, that's, yeah. that's so cool. <clears throat> Thank you, brother. I think that, I don't know if I've shared this, but my first fight ever was in third grade and I didn't really throw a punch. I, I pulled a kid named Mike, well, I won't use his last name, but he was a notorious bully that actually kind of started running a gang after that. Like, I mean, fifth, sixth grade, his dad was running and gunning, always in trouble with the law. Michael brought a knife to school on several occasions. He brought a gun to school. Um, I mean, like as a, as a kid. And so yeah. he was, uh, he was bringing drugs to school in elementary school and middle school until uh, he was expelled and, um, you know, ended up in prison uh, and, and is doing a big sentence. And so anyways, he, he jumped on my back my first day of school at a new school in third grade. And for me, you know, I'd, I'd never been in a fight. I actually came from like a private Christian school to a public school kind of in the country, but bordering a bad part of Fort Worth, Texas. And when he jumped on my back, he started hitting me in the back of the head and then choking me. And I didn't know what to do. So I just bent over and he fell off. And then there's like one or two other kids hitting me. And then school had a no tolerance policy. So we all got suspended and I, I didn't hit him. All I did was bend over and he fell off of me. Um, but since that day, at third grade at that new school, that group plus others saw me as kind of the weak link. And uh, I would sit at the lunch table by myself, get pelted in the back of the head with food and fist and chocolate milk spit wads and have to pull that out of my hair. And um, in seventh and eighth grade, it really picked up where in seventh grade, I went to homecoming and this guy that shared my, my name was named Justin and uh, and we have a silly tradition in Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. And now girls in high school go to football games looking like uh, parade floats. And I'm not even kidding. That's these, mm -hmm. these high school mums. And back in like the 60s or something, it was just like a flower, you know, uh, that would be on their, their, their dress. Then it got bigger. And whenever I was in school, it was maybe like a foot wide and now girls have to wear like a strap around, like a, like a necklace and a back strap to keep these things up. And literally they'll have LED lights and speakers and all this stuff. But they always have streamers, bells, whistles for real. They'll have a teddy bear, your school mascot. And so I saved up my allowance. And I went with this girl named Jessica. And when I got to the game, I was excited. My mom picked us up and took us to the, the high school game when we were in seventh grade. We went up and sat with the middle school section, and we we're at the very top left corner of the the stadium. I actually went by there with my mom not too long ago, whenever we were in in, in town, and she's like, "I can't believe I found you," you know. Anyway, so it was it was uh, halftime comes. This notorious middle school bully named Justin walks up to her, to us, and it was like everyone looked back whenever he started walking up to us. 
and he he put his arm out and she put her arm around his arm kind of like the that, that kind of hook like sure. you do with the, your date and he goes thank you for buying this for her. and i go i go what and he grabs like the streamer that says justin and jessica the year and it's what i bought her with all my allowance all of it and he goes you didn't think she'd really come with you did you and i like look at her i remember she looked at me and she she looked kind of like she felt bad but really kind of like also looked back at him kind of proud and i mean she walked away with him and i got laughed out of the 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 homecoming game at halftime with the whole school laughing you know i ran and hid behind the the bathrooms under the bleachers my mom came and got me jessica ended up leaving with the other other kid and um my mom couldn't believe it the next year i went to a middle school uh birthday party and i was so stoked because the biggest crush i've ever had whether it was in school so from kindergarten to senior year uh was a girl named jennifer and so i went to her party but i got the invitation it was a costume contest winner gets a prize everyone was talking about what they were going to wear it was going to be superman batman avengers x-men like whatever um and looking at me and having gone by the name the viking and fighting i should have gone as thor or something like that yeah. but i but but her favorite show was transformers and she loved optimus uh prime so her dad worked at dr pepper and i decided i would go and combine those things because the 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 winner was going to get a dr pepper gumball machine with dr pepper flavored gumballs her, it's like her dad was an executive there their house was decorated with like the vintage signs they had a dr pepper machine in their house and anyways there's some called dublin dr pepper in texas and uh, I think the plant shut down in the last like 10 years or five years, but it's basically like the Mexican Coke, um, sure. but it, it's like bottled or, or canned real Imperial cane sugar, Dr. Pepper. So the rumors at school are you don't even have to pay for it. You just push the button, it pops out at their home. And uh, so I decided with my mom, I would go as Dr. Optimus Pepper. I would combine, uh, I was, it was actually around the Super Bowl time, and they had this uh, thing at the grocery store, right? Like those big displays. Uh, yeah, big displays, and there was like a football player and like a three-point stance, and another one in a Heisman, and they were in Dr. Pepper, and I was like, "Oh, sweet, that's what I'm gonna do." So I put a helmet on, uh, like a 24-pack, I think, on my head or something. 12 packs on my arms and chest plate, shield, sword. Went to the party, and my mom helped me with some duct tape, being a country kid and uh we got there and she dropped me off mimi opened the door her grandmother i walked uh she said jennifer's gonna love this walked to the uh in the living room there's the machine i get a dr pepper and uh, dublin dr pepper walked to the backyard when i opened the door uh that's when i realized i was like 30 minutes late um cameras or flashes of light hit me my eyes adjust as my ears are hearing laughter and um, and I see that not one single person's dressed up. It's just me looking like a goofball right there. Um, and Jennifer said, I can't believe you thought you were good enough to come to my party. Next to her, a guy named Tyler. He's got a he's got a cool transformation story now. He helps youth and but at that time, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And he said, uh, he said, You're worthless. I felt worthless. I felt like I wasn't good enough. And Justin, the same one from the year before. Uh, that came up there and 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 took my date. Um, he said, "You should just kill yourself." And so at 
13 years old, I really did start the biggest battle of my life, which was depression and suicide. Later in life, I would, I would start filling that with those thoughts and scary visions. Um, I'd start filling it with, you know, drugs and alcohol to maybe cope. But, you know, from, from that point, you, you believe that 13 years old, you believe the things people say about you. Yeah. It's, it's hard not to, whether it's family, friends, or just someone that's not even your friend. And I've learned now, like, don't, don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from, right? Yeah, like, dude, you, you and I are both steeped in the, the stoicism and, and that yeah. philosophy. And I was just having this conversation with my bandmate yesterday, you know, stoicism kind of says like, you know, what warrants a reaction? Mm. And it's like someone that doesn't know me telling me what I am, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't warrant a reaction, that doesn't warrant acknowledgement, like I know what I am, you do not, so you telling me what I am has, has no basis. But when yeah. we're kids, like you said, like that's, A, it absolutely breaks my heart. I had heard that second story, I'd never heard the homecoming one, but like, I just, the fact that kids can be that mean is just like insane to me. You know, I've never hit any of my kids, but if I found out that my kid in seventh grade did that to someone, like I'm whooping your ass, man. Like, and we're going to that kid's house and you were apologizing in person. Like I just, it's insane to me that that, you know, and, and we're the same age. So like, I feel like that era was a little different where it was just like, oh yeah, well, you know, kids will be kids. Yeah. Um, you know, and we see, these school shootings and what you know I've seen a few videos in the past couple of years where a school shooting has stopped and there's one in particular where this teacher approaches the kid with a gun and talks and the kid oh man it's like making me misty yeah. the kid drops the gun and just like falls into the arms of this yeah, teacher and he's squeezing him so oh. tight you know and it's like dude that's not a that's not a homicidal maniac dude that yeah. is a completely you don't want to hurt someone yeah He's just a he wounded just hurt, kid. hurt like crazy. And it's no excuse to ever bring a gun. But at the same time, you're right. Like he just, he didn't know what to do. He was at the end of his rope. And if I'm, if I'm real, I've, I've never done anything like that. Um, and I've never had like visions of, of taking a gun. I never was a, a gun owner or anything like that, but uh, like growing up, but I, I had visions of like, man, if I could, hurt those guys I, I would I'm bigger I'm stronger I should have I should have you know you play it through your mind over and over and over and like I think when I was 13 14 I thought why didn't I just punch them in the face right yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, when I hit them with the the, the, the cardboard sword you know like yeah. stab them with that you know um, but there was something you said about stoicism and at the same time of that, like the Daily Stoic had something interesting yesterday. I even took a picture of it. I didn't plan on saying it today, but it's super short. It was the October 5th one. It says, words can't be unsaid. Better to trip with the feet than with the tongue. That's from Zeno, I guess is how you say it. But, um, and then Ryan Holiday says, you can always get up after you fall. But remember, what has been said can never be unsaid, especially cruel and hurtful things. And so... On that, I think those cruel and hurtful things became my own self-talk for many years. Um, I still have to watch it and make sure that whenever I trip up myself, that I'm a, my own worst critic where I'm saying, you're worthless, uh, you're, not, you're not good enough, you should just kill yourself. 
because I've had two suicide attempts in my life and uh, like real deal ones, not like half-assed ones or, or mm -hmm. thinking about it, but like really thought it was over and really attempted it. And and in one case for sure, like even doctors are like, we're not even like, it's a miracle that you're alive. It was a hundred percent a lethal cocktail. And uh, I just, I just woke up from that and it was like, felt like God or source spirit, like just the universe told me like, you're, you're not done yet. And uh, this isn't the way you're going out. This isn't the legacy you leave that you, you overcame this, but then you succ succumb to, to, to suicide. And for me, one of the things that gave me purpose is our common uh, thread or uh, uh, something we both love, which is mixed martial arts. And wrestling, for me, I found it probably a month or two months, oh, not wrestling for, per se, but I found UFC maximum two months after this bullying moment. I went to a flea market in Arlington, Texas, and they sell all the stolen car parts and yep. uh, they had used VHS tapes at the same place. They, they sell flying squirrels. Um, and <laughs> uh, you, the front part's like this... Uh, animal shop and you can get chameleons and and iguanas and flying squirrels and then in the back there's used vhs tapes and some of those action movies and comedies and porn and then there's there i found i stumbled upon the ufc and i was really there to buy a bb gun we had a bunch of rats in our barn and uh and they had actually killed one of our cats and not to make the story too too long but i was like i was there to get a bb gun or pellet gun and uh, when I found UFC two through 10 or two through 11, I remember I, I got all those, went back to my friend's house, kept them there. When my dad asked me, where's the pellet gun? You know, I was, I was planning on getting, I was just like, oh, I couldn't find one, you know, and uh, never made it to the store. I, I picked up the UFC VHS tapes and I thought, these guys don't get bullied. And it was missing UFC one, but I was able to watch all the rest and there was, you know, Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock and uh, Oleg Tektarov and, and, uh, and I don't know, Tank Abbott. I think I might have said that, but Mark Kerr and... Mark Kerr oh, is my... Yeah, my that was my superhero growing up. Yeah, well, dude, I think there was this, like... And, and I have a question for you, but, like, to, yeah. to me, you know, I grew up wrestling, too. I was always a little guy. But I, I didn't really get bullied because everyone was scared of my big brother. So it was just like, yeah, dude, if we poke him, then, you know, we haven't, you know, my brother was a gangster, man, you know, like he'd, yeah. kill, you, he'd kill your dog. So it was like, you know, he, he, was, he was a nut. So people didn't really fuck with me, but there was this kid named Josh Kaufman who would just fuck with me, man, you know, like over and over. He was big, big fat kid and I wasn't, I was little. Um, and I remember telling my friend Brett, who I wrestled with, who actually is now the, uh, him and his brother coached the Grandview wrestling team. Um, well, but he, um, I told him like, dude, if he messes with me again in the locker room, like I'm going to fight him, you know? And I'm like, he's like, no, dude, don't try to fight him. Like just use wrestling, you know, like high crotch him or something. Like don't try and throw punches with him. You never throw punches. And that day sure as shit, you know, he messed with me. And I got like a, like a deep single on him and got to his side. And I did, I high crotched him and dropped him on his head and yeah. like immediately was like, Holy shit. Like, Whoa, that works in fighting. And yeah. then I remember watching those first UFCs too. And everyone was like, 
you know, there's all these different styles of martial arts. And then these like elite D1 college wrestlers came in and were like, oh, watch this, you know, <laughs> like I'm going to control your body and then yeah. hit you in the face while I'm doing it. Did well, your, did your bullying stop when you started wrestling? No, it, it did. It did when I transferred schools, uh, my junior, senior year. But when I started wrestling, it, it, it changed. Um, my parents did two of the best things they could have done for me, which was move me schools twice, which is hard for parents to decide to do, you know, and yeah. They moved me back into from public school to a private school in Fort Worth. And I, I, I wanted to box first. And then my mom said, no, you're not going to get hit in the head. Although it's playing football. And, uh, she, she said that, uh, you know, I could, I could go into wrestling and what, well, first when my parents, when my dad, you know, the old VHS tapes of sort of the young kids, they, they're not going to know this, but those old TVs and whenever you hit power off, you just want to turn the TV off. The screen doesn't go completely black and the, the VHS tape still kind of moves inside of it. So, yep. so basically I was busted uh, whenever um, I was supposed to be asleep and I was watching them at night and I turned it off and my dad got that and they searched my room and he didn't know what it was. But when he found the stack of VHS tapes under my bed, he thought it was porn. It was just the UFC. <laughs> Violence porn. <laughs> yeah. And then I think it might have been worse. My dad says it might have been worse because uh, he said, you know, you can understand that. But he was, he was telling my mom, uh, he's going to try to do this stuff someday. My mom was like, no, he's not. And, uh, and, and I'm like, no, no. And then in my mind, I'm like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> and then for me, when I started wrestling, I was the only kid at my school that did it. And I lost every match except one by one point in my first full year of wrestling. And my dad thought it was stupid. My dad said I was a waste of football talent. Um, and I was trying to tell my football coaches wrestling will make me better. I was pointing at a guy, Stephen Neal, that was playing for like the Patriots and other, other things that like D1 champion, world champion yeah, I think inarguable dude me getting yeah, better yeah. at controlling a human body will make me better at football like yeah no doubt. exactly uh Ray Lewis you know these guys are state champions and they go on and win the Super Bowl and become Hall of Famers and so I started wrestling though and since I was the only kid doing it and because you're wearing spandex and because you're in Texas and there wasn't good wrestling down here at the time uh, you know, it was called a faggot and yep. uh, all sorts of stuff. So, and I was losing. So that sucked because yeah. I'm the, the quote unquote fag that's losing every match. So why am I even doing it? And uh, then the next year I got put into a state championship tournament somehow because the heavyweight was, was uh, out from injury my coach was part of like the state board of wrestling. And he's like, I, I was showing up to watch it anyway. So they threw me in the tournament. And, uh, you know, he told me just to believe that, that every, uh, every other match I've had, I've hesitated. I've telegraphed. I've, um, I've been timid and I would show the guys what I was going to do before I do it. And so what could they do? They could reverse it. They could stop it. And, um, just to just go out there and try. And I did. And I went against the, number one seed in the first match who was the defending state finalist second place the year before he was a senior and i i 
put him on his back and and pinned him and uh, yeah yeah so then after that it was just rolling forward it was funny about that was my mom was sitting with his mom and his mom was basically trying to console my mother before the match started you know hey <laughs> not really even supposed <laughs> he's to be really here. good so be yeah, okay. totally. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and i i remember i came up and hugged my mom and his mom was there crying and i was like i'm sorry <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> you ruined that kid's senior yeah. state champion and, dream yeah and what was crazy was he had two olympic gold medalists in this corner um and it was kenny monday kindle cross and then since we we're a private school they started talking to my mom right away and my dad and me and they wanted me to come to the school the next year and so i ended up doing that um and so my sophomore year i was still being bullied even after winning the state championship at that school um and when i say bullied like i mean it wasn't like third eighth grade that's why i say that was the heavy part but it was being called called names like faggot all the time and being excluded and stuff like that so i ended up getting in a a, a fight um at school and i got asked to leave the, the the one private school and because of that against me um a, a kid a kid from the bleachers threw this block of like two or three charcoal chunks that were stuck together like that you cook for they would they would cook at the top sure. of the bus box and stuff and so he 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 threw it and it hit my head and it cut me open so whenever i got a hold of him i i I put a rear naked choke on him. I choked him unconscious. And I, I mean, I was, I was literally looking through blood yeah. <laughs> and I had a big goose egg and it was cut and <clears throat> I had to get those butterfly kind of stitches things. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, not stitches, but butterfly. Uh, so anyways, I, I, I choked him and because I took retaliation, they kicked me out and they didn't do anything to him. They made me run around the football field and trying to make me throw up until, uh, until basically I, I didn't throw up and was just exhausted. So I was asked to leave the school and the other school, Bishop Lynch High School, didn't want to accept me. And I had gone on and I, then now I became an All-American wrestler. Um, and uh, the my mom drove from a national tournament. She just bailed on me. I was in color, uh, I was in Greeley, Colorado at the University of North, North Color, or whatever that is, Northern Colorado <coughs> University. And I she left, and sorry to make this story long, but it was one of the greatest things my mom's done for me, where she left the tournament, drove 13 hours because an Olympic gold medalist told her, Terry, they denied his admission into the school. We fought for him. We need you to come talk to the school. So my mom went up there. She literally took out debt to pay the school up front for my year's tuition. She said, this is all he has is wrestling. and." he will truly give it his all he needs to be around these these coaches he needs to be at your school um and he's he's a good kid i promise he's a good kid he just he just needs purpose and he needs hope and he needs the sport and so um they talked to the football team and the football coach came and said he's a good football player we'll get him on the football team too he'll be involved in two sports year-round so yeah, they they accepted me like the day before school started. My mom was crying with them, paying them money, and and they took me. And man, being around those Olympic gold medalists at 15 years old, you know, was the best thing my mom ever did for me. And um, I, uh, yeah, from there I went on to be a 10-time state champion in wrestling, a five-time All-American, a 
the national champion high school and then the national champion Greco-Roman wrestling. Lived, went straight from high school to the Olympic Training Center. And I had full ride scholarships to Oklahoma State and Iowa State and Iowa and I mean, anywhere. Anywhere I wanted to go, I could have gone and, and not paid for college, but uh, I went to the Olympic Training Center for Greco-Roman wrestling. And I guess like, for me, having that purpose is what really like changed everything having something to focus on an outlet i'm sure like you and music yep um, you and martial arts as well and being able to go in there and spar wrestle like get that energy out that negative energy um and turn it into something positive and for me it was like you know i'm, I'm gonna fight someday but it's because i love the chess match of it not because i'm angry at anyone but because martial arts changed my life and gave me a better future. I mean, those those kids that bullied me, and and I never, I would never root for someone's downfall, defeat. I would never take pride in it or joy in it. Um, but man, I I I look at them, and they're working at the fast food restaurants and the yep. uh, the hardware stores, and and they're just still getting wasted with the same exact high school friends, and they're reliving the glory days. And because Dude, my parents. I'll have full transparency. Every fucking person that told me I couldn't do what I'm doing now, I take great pride in being like, yeah, well, look at the fucking life that I've built. You know, what do yeah. you do? You work at a bank, you know, like I've, you and I have created our, our own lives. You know, it, what, what I think really ties you and I together though, is like, you know, for me, martial arts was like this, therapy like it was for you but for me it took a long time for it to do its work like you know I think when, when you're bullied as a kid or, or in my instance uh abused yeah. you have these beliefs even if they're subconscious you know and it took a lot of therapy for me to figure out what the like the cut and dry deal was you know for me it was I am alone no one is coming to save me. Nobody is here to help me. I'm an island. Like anyone that I meet, even if they are a nice person, at the drop of a hat, they would fuck me over if it would help them. And it was this, I mean, e towards my wife, like, like if Summer and I would get in an argument about something small, my psyche would go, there it is. I fucking knew it. I've been waiting for you to show me this. I knew it. You know, and like the a big breakthrough that I had was Will, my coach, pulled me aside. I was like halfway through my blue belt. I was super aggressive. And I'd start putting on a little weight. So I like had this thing, I think, in the back of my head that was like, I'm going to be tougher than my brother. I, you know, my brother was always the badass. I'm going to be the fucking badass in the family. You know, I want to, in the event that I ever see my dad again, I want him to see me know what the fuck I am and look in my eyes and be like, no way. Like this dude would kill me. And, and my coach pulled me aside and he said, dude, when you first came to this gym, you were like a light, you know, you were the student that wanted to soak up all of this knowledge. And now you are a nightmare. No one wants to train with you. You go 110% all the time. You don't want to learn shit. You just want to fuck people up. And you need, he said, you need to figure out who it is you're fighting because you're not allowed to fight them in here anymore and you cannot train until you figure that out wow. and like 
it hit me so deep, dude. You know, I was like bawling on the drive home because it all just kind of clicked like, oh, fuck, dude, I'm not even doing martial arts for me. It's to like prove to my dad and my brother that I'm tough, you know, like just, and, and it's weird because I still see in you the same thing that I see in myself, which is this battle of this inherent belief that was passed to us when we were kids, that we're not good enough, that no one is going to help us, that people are inherently mean and dark. Um, and as you become an adult, you just kind of people adapt and they try to present themselves as not as mean and dark as they were when they were kids. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's something that I struggle with and have to catch myself. Like, do you have, you know, anything outside of fighting or like, what have you found, you know, which, which is why you and I are addicts. Like at the end of the day, it's this inherent belief that tells us we're not good enough. It creates a hole. Yeah. And when that hole starts to grow because we're giving it attention and we're feeding it, we go, oh, fuck, I need to fill that hole. Drugs and alcohol are great at that. They only yeah. last a little while, but they're really great. At, they're like, um, the analogy I always use is it's like someone rubbing, you know, rubbing your back and then they have a knife in the other hand. They're like, that's right, buddy. You know, yeah. you're good. You're good. And then they're just waiting to stab you in the chest. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So like, what wow. have you, what have you found in that like, to, to battle that when you have those like thought processes creeping up? Cause I think, I think, I think, uh, I think for me, well, I found someone that I would be a complete liability without an Amy. And she helps keep me really balanced, but it's gotta be within me, not external with her so i mean we've really been diving into something a practice that's love yourself like your life depends on it and she goes she told she gave me this book says love yourself like your life depends on it why because it does just like yeah. it, it does and so um i've been having a prayer meditation practice also when i see myself going into a dark spot um man i was never really a music guy that could tell you uh songs lyrics artists i just I, I would hear something i'm like yeah i like that but i'd be a radio guy and i wouldn't have my own playlist and stuff I'd, probably until after my last suicide attempt and then um and i found your music so uh i know that that i don't want to make it sound weird but man i go to your songs a lot i was playing them here yesterday in the morning um and i went from grow to between to i am to um all right now and i mean i just man it's music is medicine and so i let that start speaking that belief into me and then i try to let that become my own self-talk because before you were you reminded me of a story earlier and it, it might derail the answer a little bit but i see what you were saying about going in there and training hard you know one of the first things i did after i went to bishop lynch was some of those kids found out I was really doing well in wrestling and all of a sudden I went to a school junior and senior year I'm not being excluded I'm not being made fun of I'm being included people are encouraging me uh, our wrestling meets were bigger than the basketball uh, games and we had a state championship basketball team you think those would be packed out and they were but I mean wrestling you fit more you can fit chairs on the the court and stuff and uh we had olympic gold medalists and we were the second best team in the nation and like reigning state champions for like 10 years or something and so uh it was just a complete change but whenever some of the people from my old middle school 
and that were in that high school that were still, I still live in that town. My, my parents sent me 67 miles from door to door from my house to my school. And when I heard that they were still talking shit, uh, I was like, wow, all right, I'm coming. And I literally set it up with one of the football players. I was talking crap that they had, a, they had gotten a wrestling mat for their like off season stuff. And in their like where their weight room was and where they had the turf and they would roll out the mats. And I just went in there and did king of the mat with all the linemen, all the running backs. I mean, every single player on that team that wanted to come on the mat with me, I would just pick them up and slam them, not into the mat, but I would spike my shoulder into their chest and yeah. completely take the air out of them or I'd ring their bell. And I just did that over and over and I was in, I was in, all American wrestling shape, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And these guys never wrestled. So, yeah. Um, or they wrestled each other, but they didn't have anyone good. And so, uh, it just, it wasn't fair either, but I, I, I wanted to show them, you know, so I had this chip on my shoulder and I go into these matches and I remember that, I mean, in competition, you've got to turn it on and you've got to be dominant. But I remember that I would go on there against guys that weren't on my level because now I'm the All-American national champion and these guys are wrestling locally in Texas. And I'd be thinking, uh, I'd be rationalizing that it's practice, but I would be embarrassing them. And I could have ended the match quick, but I would let them hang on, not even let them hang on, I would just rack up the points. Yep. And I, would, I, would, I would say, I'm, okay, coach, I'm gonna go do this, 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 and that. Sometimes they were for it and they'd be like, you know, go, yeah, do, do that string, chain those uh, moves together until you get ready to pin them and try to pin them on this side of the mat and, or right here, you know, and I would, I'd go out there and I'd do it. But then other times I would find this like darkness inside of me that would fuel me and it would be time to finish it. And I would just let them back up, put them back down again and let them back up and put them back down again. And my coaches would be like, Justin, finish it. And I would not even listen to them who I really loved and respected because I had something to prove. And, uh, and I remember I'd get off those mats sometimes and you have to go check, shake the hands of the coaches, yep. the, the other team. And those coaches would just look at me like, what, what was that about? You know, like what's going on with you kid, mm. you know? And I just embarrassed their guy that didn't need to be embarrassed. And, um, and I think that was that hurt inside of me that wanted someone else to experience what I experienced. Um, that you aren't good enough to be on this mat with me. And uh, you haven't worked as hard as I have. And I've earned this, but, but you're not good enough. And, uh, and I, I really had to break myself of that now through Fight for the Forgotten and that purpose and everything else. I still go out there and I'm, I'm in a fight. There's consequences to it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to take my head off. Well, I, it, it's so weird to hear that, right? Cause there's so many yeah. guys that like, dude, for me, if you asked me like, okay, what is your competition mindset? Like if you would have asked me that two years ago, I would have said, I'm here to kill you. Actual. I don't care about you. I don't care about your health. I don't care about your relationship with your family. I'm here to kill you. And there's been a man that's hired to stop that from happening. Hopefully he yeah. does his job. And if you kill me, what the fuck ever. 
which is stupid. That's dark, bro. Rather than just like, no, dude, I'm going to, you know, display my skill set and, you know, hopefully it works against yours. And like, I have no ill will towards you whatsoever. <laughs> and like our wrestling stories are reversed because me and my brother from age five on grew up doing AAU wrestling. So we were competing every weekend. You know, our, even our AAU practices were like, it was like a wrestling club, you know? So like no one there really took it seriously. No one competed like me and my brother did. So I thought all the way through middle school, like, oh no, I'm a fucking badass wrestler. Like I'm, I've competed more than anybody I know. You know, I grew up in Iowa. So like, as you know, Iowa, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Pennsylvania, Ohio, like that is a, that's a different world. Yep. And, you know, I wrestled as a freshman and I remember going to districts and I did, I did pretty well my freshman year, like high school wrestling wise. But I went to districts, which was different. My okay. first match, I wrestled a kid I had never been toyed with, like you were talking about. Yeah. This kid with the most relaxed look ever on his face would take me, snap me down, go behind, get his two points, put me on my back, get his three, and then let me back up. Yeah. He just did that so fast, you know, in the first period, had teched me. And yeah. I remember, like, in that moment going, like, oh. Yeah. These are the kids with money that have like gone to all of the camps that have done all of this shit. And it just kind of dawned on me, like, are you going to win a state title as a high school wrestler in Iowa? And at that point, dude, I had started smoking pot. I had found skateboarding. I had found music. And I was like, yeah. you know, <laughs> maybe, but like the, the work that that would entail for me to even get on the podium in Iowa, I don't think I want to put in, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, well, for, for the listeners, uh, a tech fall is like the 10 run rule, basically, but it's 15 points. And then yeah. they just stop it because it's like 15-0 or 16-1. And, um, and the one point you might have gotten was because he let you up. And, totally. Uh, uh, so it's, it's to stop a kid from being fully embarrassed, you know, or a college guy. They even have tech falls there. Or in the Olympics. There's tech yeah, falls there. Bur Burroughs and, just teched a guy. Yeah, exactly. So I, I – um, I think where it came from for me was even in that first year of wrestling, I remember being embarrassed on the mats where a guy held me down laughing and he had a half Nelson and he threw a knee and busted my nose and it just blood spurted out and I'm bleeding and he's pinning me and he's laughing as he's getting his hand raised and he walks over to his corner. He's from Missouri and uh, a Texas kid versus a Missouri kid, like normally doesn't go well. And uh, his little, you know, team was just kind of laughing. I shouldn't have been out there and I was heavy set and I wasn't built. And I just, it was like, I didn't belong. Yeah. And so whenever I started finally getting the great coaching and I started feeling like I belong and our team, you know, their atmosphere. And I was the, I was always having something to prove because the rest of the kids on my team grew up on Kenny Monday's uh, team Monday club team. And they started wrestling at four, five, six, seven, eight years old. Yep. And I'm starting late in the game at 15. And so, and I'm having to try to catch up with everybody. So I, I didn't have an off season and I didn't have, I quit playing football and my dad called me a waste of talent and uh, uh, all sorts of stuff. But I think that's where it all came from. But man, did, was it pretty, it was pretty 
I wouldn't say useless. It was pretty empty where, I mean, my first national championship in wrestling was dope um, because I beat a kid that, that was a two-time national champion and was the, no one thought I was going to win. Yeah. And um, except me and my coaches and, uh, and my mom. And then, but I remember my first 12 or 13 fights in MMA. I would get my hand raised and I, I swear no one can find a picture of me smiling with my hand up. Um, crowd's still going. Refs holding my hand up. Coaches are thrilled. Um, my friends and family and fans are, are, are excited. And I would just nonchalantly, kind of like in the wrestling world, I think I might have taken it from there. You get your hand raised. You don't really smile, celebrate. Just You just go off. Yeah, you business as usual. Yep. Yeah. But I think I took that, but it also would feel like, why don't I enjoy this? Why can't yeah. I celebrate this? And these last few fights, man, have, have changed everything, where I know when I fight and I win, there's going to be more wells drilled. And I know when I fight right. and win, there'll be One thing is – you said to me one time that I thought was so cool is you, you were like, I think the person that has more to fight for usually wins. Yeah. The person with the most reasons. Yeah. And like, so, so talk yeah. a bit about fight for the forgotten. Cause there might be some of our listeners that don't know. So like, sure. Sure. Yeah. Tell us about fight sure. for the forgotten and, and how that started and yeah. Yeah. The, what you, the, what it was like when you got there versus what, it, what it's like now. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I haven't had someone ask me that question specifically, so that's great. Uh, the Real quick on the person with the most reasons, I think all athletes that are like elite level, world class, they raise the bar of necessity. Like, why is it necessary for me to win this? And you'll see the person doing it for, you know, I was, I was with the guy yesterday who completely radically changed his diet he had garbage bags of kale he juices eight to 13 times a day he has a chef that he's hired it's not because he's uber wealthy but he's got a chef that he's hired to cook him all his meals and it's because he's got cancer and he had a surgery and the cancer wasn't fully removed and it's back and so now he's attacking it with any and everything that he can he's throwing the kitchen sink at it and I think that when you are faced with something like that, you know, you want to honor your uh, Olympian wants to honor their mother's legacy that died of cancer or someone that can't be there or, or honor their country, you know, with the Olympics happened not too long ago. And so I think people can take that and do it in any area of their life. And to pull that into fight for the forgotten was, there was nothing more needed that I saw that I could do with my life than start this nonprofit. Um, I went and I met the Mabuti Pygmy people and the F.A. Pygmy people in Congo. And now I work with the Batwa Pygmy people in Uganda. The Pygmy people group, average heights, four foot seven, and they span across eight or nine African nations. But they're the most oppressed people group, according to many anthropologists, on planet Earth. Another way for me to say that is the most bullied people group on planet Earth. Yeah, 100%. And uh, my introduction to the water crisis was holding a little boy, one and a half years old, um, that died. And I dug his grave and uh, had his blood on his hands after blood came out of his ears. And he took his last breath. And his name was Andy Bo. His mom was left alone 
all alone for real, not like emotionally feeling like she's alone, but her husband died of waterborne disease. Her other son died of waterborne disease and now Andy Bill is gone. And she was sitting there where I could count every rib that attached to her sternum because she was topless in their culture and um, she was starving and she was dying of waterborne disease herself. And Andy Bo was denied hospital treatment not once, but twice. First time her mom came up to the hospital steps or medical clinic steps, they said, you're too dirty to come in here. Second time uh, the village begged and they got, it was $1 for the one shot or one pill cure, or not one pill, but pills that would have cured them, $1. It was $3 for the one shot cure. It was too late in the game for the pills. So it was, it was $3. They begged, these people were enslaved a whole village called someone master and they begged for three and a half dollars of Congolese franc. They had a chicken, two dozen eggs, a bag of charcoal and a bunch of firewood. And when they got to the medical clinic, the doctor said, we won't waste our medicine on a pygmy animal. And slave masters say, what are you doing with my property? I own this tribe, I own these people, I own these animals, like depending on the slave master, what their terminology was. And for me, that wrecked me. And I, I buried Andy Bo and spent several, several dollars, more than $5 on the shovel. Um, I spent uh, something around $20, $25 for the casket. I mean, it was over $30 um, to, to bury Andy Bo when it was $1 to give him the pills or $3. Jeez. And so that wrecked me, man. And I came back home. And this was 10 years ago. And I, you know, I was 23. I was going on a scouting trip. I just wanted some sort of purpose where I, you know, I was fighting against people, but I knew really I was supposed to be fighting for people. That's a beautiful way to say that. Yeah, man. And it's true, man. I just want to be a dude that puts love and compassion in action and fights for people. And so Coming back, I, re I remember I went to Popeye's. Have I told you this story? I don't think so. Yeah, I went to Popeye's at, uh, in Atlanta at the airport, waiting for my connection back to Denver. And I get there, and I'm behind this line of people. And there's this, there, it's right across the gate from this, you know, Haiti 2012 t-shirt, like, group, right? They're going on a mission trip, and they've got their church name and and the cross on it and i remember it was blue and yellow and uh almost looked like the swedish flag because it had a yellow cross on it and uh and this girl is trying to get coke with her order and she goes to coke machine this is before they did it all that you do it yourself and she starts filling up with coke and her mom grabs her hand her wrist by the wrist and says pour that out get water she goes mom they're not gonna have coca-cola in, in, in haiti I want to get a Coke, which Coca-Cola is basically everywhere except maybe the jungle where the pygmies live. Yeah. <laughs> uh, except really, 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 really remote places. You can find Coca-Cola anywhere. And I see that they're fighting over Coca-Cola and water. Sugar water, water. The girl refills it and, with Coca-Cola and she gets grounded. Mom says, you're going to be grounded two weeks. Mom's, uh, the girl says, you got to be kidding me. I just want a Coke before we go to Haiti. She goes, if you drink that, you're grounded two weeks. So she takes a big sip, you know, right in her mom's face. Not, not good on either end. But uh, the girl storms out of 
Popeyes. He says, Mom, I hate you. And I just wanted to like gently, but I wanted to grab him and say, not, not that it's about me, but it's about Andy Bo and the 3.2 or 3.4 million children under the age of five years old that die every year of dirty water. I wanted to pull them together and go, you guys are fighting and grounding each other and saying the word hate because of water or sugar water. And like, I just buried a kid because of this. And the, the, the morning, the, 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 the morning we buried him, but the morning that came from that funeral was the most horrific sounds I've ever heard in my life. Like people falling on their face, falling on their back, squirming. Cause it's like, one, they let their emotions be seen. Like they wear their heart on their sleeve and they they'll hold somebody that's crying and people will come around and put their hands on them while they're crying. And they're allowed to, to grieve in whatever way their body and emotions tell them to. But I wasn't used to that. I'm used to a funeral that everyone wears nice clothes and has Nobody flowers. Nobody really talks. And, yeah. yeah, and the, body, the body's prepared and there's only a couple people that speak. There's a few people that cry and everyone tries to fight back their tears. And um, I just remember hearing that, like flashing back to that sound while those, that mom and daughter are like fighting, you know? Like I, it's something I can never erase from my mind. And uh, I've had dreams about it, like that sound of a whole village, you know, screaming, crying, and like not again, you know? Yeah, there's a, there's a weird thing. Like when I got back from the Himalaya, you know, they're like, uh, the Sherpas are essentially like the pygmies of the mountains, you know, they're Tibetan refugees. They were kicked out of yeah. Tibet. So they live up at like 12 to 16,000 feet in like, the, you know, just the most unideal living conditions you could live in everything is carried you know like it, it, for instance if you and i were in a family and mom was like okay cool i have made 17 dollars. we can get five pieces of plywood to put walls on this then you and i walk two days down and yep. three or four days back with those sheets of plywood you know so it's like everything is a fucking deal there's no yeah. hot water. There's no electricity, yada, yada. And like, I had this weird thing when I got back from Nepal, like just looking at America and listening to the things people bitch about where I was like, man, how, how have we become so disconnected from the rest of the world that this is the kind of things we're complaining about? Like, yeah. like you're saying, it's like, do you even realize, like my big takeaways for, from Nepal were just that. Do you realize what an insane blessing it is to be able to take a shower? Do you realize what an insane blessing it is to be able to turn a fucking tap and go, I can drink this and it's not going to make me sick? Like, Bro, I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have, so I went and lived there after Anibo died. I went and lived there for a year. Um, and, and, and after Anibo died, I came back and while well, I lived there for a month, I didn't have a bed. Right. And so I, I lived there two months, two different trips, but um, I came back and I couldn't sleep in my bed because I was sleeping on the dirt with them. And I almost felt like, I just wanted to understand more. And like, like you, you, you read about it, you forget about it, or you see it and maybe you feel it for a little while, but you, you live it and like, you, you can never really forget it. You know, I'll never forget holding Andy Bo. And, um, or even just how hard it was to dig that grave. Um, not just because you're emotional, but because that ground didn't want to budge. And, um, and the but coming back i remember and this isn't to like 
say this kind of guilt is is right but um but i remember i i i, I cried one time filling up my dog's water you know i'm giving my dog this crystal clear water i'm using the toilet in it i'm showering and wasting it you know yep. it was so hard to to shower there you know you'd get water if you if you didn't take a bath in the creek that could give you schistosomiasis or like other kinds of parasites um if, you, if it didn't rain and no one wants to actually shower in the cold rain but i did because it was the hot humid rainforest you know the other way to shower was boiling water and then you get like this little bitty bucket and you squat over it and you just use both hands in a cupping motion and you throw it over you. That, this is literally the symbol for shower. This means I'm going to take a shower. You know, you throw it over <laughs> your shoulders. And uh, so I, I decided I would go back. I lived there for a year. I'd try to get 30 acres of land and see that we would drill two water wells on that land. And maybe we could start up a small crop for them maybe we'd see 85, 85 people transition out of a life of slavery and into a life of freedom. But after the year I was there, we ended up having over 2,000 acres of land. We had drilled 13 water wells. And since, yeah, and since then, we've been able to do, uh, see 1,651 people transition out of an actual life of slavery and the freedom. I got to do a, a TED Talk in, at Warwick University about that in London, close to London. And now it's over 3,000 acres of land. We're about to buy 20 to 30 more acres of land. We've drilled 80 water wells. We're serving more than 60,000 people. We're building 28 uh, new homes for people. Um, actually, might end up being 32. And uh, we just got a verbal commitment to help us fund or fundraise uh, for a hospital. Not just a, we were going to do a medical clinic and a, and a pharmacy. But now it looks like it's going to be an actual real deal hospital with a school next to it, with a multicultural center next to the, the school that's almost like a museum, but it's going to honor the tribes in the district of, of Bundabugio, Uganda. And they'll be able to come in there and see a display. And this is this tribe. This is this Bantu tribe. This is the Pig Batwa tribe. This is whatever it is. And... Um, uh, with murals on the homes and murals inside of it and murals on the school and uh, a farm and we're replanting thousands we've already replanted over 4,000 trees but now we're getting ready to plant thousands and thousands of trees more um, so that they were kicked out of the the national rainforest there they're the people of the forest the protectors of the forest they only take what they need and they literally are the people of the forest and um they're not allowed to live in the forest anymore in Uganda. So we're rebuilding them or replanting a forest for them on their own land that no one can complain about. So they can forage and hunt and do whatever they want. So it'll, it'll take a little bit of time to get there, but they're going to have their own forest. Man, that's so badass. And it's what's cool too is to see that you started this little tiny thing from a trip that just touched your heart. And, and to me, this it, it's the ultimate story of unlimited potential uh, potential and actualization you know um and and why not committing suicide is so fucking important because yeah. we have no idea you know i think about w when i tried to kill myself like you don't know where you're going unless you let it, yourself go there you know like the fact that i ended up with with a successful music career but more than that a family and 
getting to meet people like you. And I just think of all these amazing relationships I had that I had no way of knowing that I would have them if I kept going, you know, and like for you to extrapolate on that, even outside of your personal life of of having Amy and, and the amazing network of friends that you do, like the fact that literally tens of thousands of human beings might not have access to clean water had your first suicide attempt worked. You know what I mean? Or had, yeah. had, had that bullying got to you in middle school and you said, you know what, man, fuck this. I'm out, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I had a friend a few years ago whose 12 year old son was also viciously bullied and he did take his own life. And, and it's, the, it's just so sad because it's like, man, you have no idea what can happen if you show up, you know, yeah. and you, and you've built this thing that is, you had an experience that touched your heart and mm. in turn, other people have seen that wanted to help. And yeah, I mean, dude, you've changed the course of human life for tens of thousands of people. That is the wildest fucking thing in the world. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Um, I really, really appreciate that. Like, do you ever sit in that though? Do you ever really sit in that and be and be like, because people tell me that all the time, right? Like, no, dude, your music changed my life. And for me, I'm kind of removed from it. And I'm like, well, cool. That wasn't really the intention. I was just writing this shit down, but I'm glad it resonated with you. And yeah. what's different with, but what's different with your work is like, no, dude, that was the intention from the gate is how can I help these people? And yeah. you did, you fucking did. Like you actually did, you know, like my intention in writing music was for I mean, obviously I wanted to share it, but I had no idea it was going to do anything that it did. It was just like me trying to kind of self journal and work through my shit yeah, where you well, were like, no, I love these people. I care about these people. I want to help these people. And yeah, that's what you're doing. Thank you, bro. I, I, I have sat with it because like now, you know, it's, it's going to be a hospital that for me honors Andy Bo's life. I said it while I was digging his grave. Like I, 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 I said it under my breath, but I go, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something for you. And, and it's gonna, you, you didn't, I mean, like he did on one end die in vain and on another end, it's like, uh, you know, whatever way we can honor his legacy. And I dedicated my book to him. And then now literally there's going to be a hospital built where the pygmy people in their area will never be denied hospital treatment ever again. And that it's, and it's so crazy, like you said, to think that in our world where, you know, for a, a dollar, you can get a McChicken. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. over there, dude, a dollar could save your life, actually. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And a dollar there is normally their average day's wage if you're not part of the pygmy tribe, you know. Um, yeah. It's a dollar, dollar twenty-five a day. And it can save your life. It can change your life. Like, and so I... I didn't think I'd read this, but my mom texted me Tuesday um, and said, uh, good morning. I'm not sure if I've told you, have told you this recently, but I'm such a proud mama. And then like the heart with the, or the, the face blushing with the hearts around it. And she said, uh, you're such an inspiration for this world. You and Amy are doing so great on the podcast. You'll have good vibes. And I love that. Thank you for not taking your life. And I'm thankful to the good Lord for keeping you around. I have three friends that that have all lost their sons recently by suicide. And I cannot imagine life without you. I hope you have an amazing day. I love you. 
So just having that, you know, like I think, I think at 13 years old, I there was a kid in my school. I won't use his last name, but his name was Landon, and it was whenever it was after, and he was one of the popular kids. He was one of the popular kids, but he had a really rough home life. And he took his life, and that was the second funeral I'd ever been to. We had one kid that had like an autoimmune kind of really bad disease, and he ended up passing away. I went to that funeral, and um, then the second one was uh, this kid Landon that that took his life, and I went to the funeral, and his mom was there. And whenever I saw what it did to his mom, and I was in a suicidal place, at least suicidal ideation, I was like whoa like i can't do this to her you know my mom and then and then i did 10 years later attempt it and then 10 years later attempt it again and so i sometimes carry a lot of shame in that but then now it's like i'm releasing all that and saying no i'm still here and i'm gonna stay here and i'm not going out by my own hand and there's there's too much work to do one on myself and two for others, the more the more I've seen myself work on me, uh, and I always denied that, like working on me to work on others, like I would try to help them. It's common. Somehow, somehow it would end up helping me, but uh, it's just how the world works. But it's common with addicts too. Yeah, 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 I was like, here, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this for you, 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 you. But now I've tried to reverse that, where it's like, if I can do stuff for me, like the more opportunities come. Like I, I stopped worrying about it so much and uh, that I mean it's still it's still a big burden on my heart but I'm like you know what this is just it's going to keep rolling like it's it will and all of a sudden we get a call like hey the government in Uganda wants to sponsor doctors nurses a pharmacist teachers if we can fund the building so if we if we build it they're gonna they're gonna staff it and we'll, we'll still fund it, they will come yeah, yeah. And it's like, wait, that's amazing. Like, like, why? And it's like, because they never thought the transformation was possible among the lowest of the low of their tribes. And if we can do that, it's going to inspire everyone else around them. And the hospital is going to serve the community as a whole. But uh, so that that happened. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, so let's commit to it. But how are we going to do it? And then all of a sudden, I have someone on my podcast. They make a big connection for me. And then another connection, another connection. And now it's like, within a week's time, there's a commitment to fund the hospital. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, yeah, how is this happening? Well, I think there's a thing too, right? Of Unless you are operating at your highest capacity, you're not going to be serving at your highest capacity. Right. And I think that's something that leaders really neglect, right? And there's this whole culture of like, you know, pardon my French, but kind of like pussified self-care. Mm. which is like, no, I need to take a bubble bath and I need to negate responsibility so I can have some me time. And it's like, no, it's not that it's for, for me, it's, it's the, how can I mitigate stress? How can I mitigate my health? Because if I'm feeling good, then I'll be able to serve better. If I'm feeling super stressed and jacked and, you know, in your case, fuck dude, you've had more illness than anybody I've ever met where it's like, if you're trying to power through all this, you're going to be operating at 20% where it's like, okay, well, let me fix this. Let me get to a hundred percent. And then it'll be balls to the wall. Yeah. You know, something else you just said that I really, really resonated with, you know, 
the way that you were with fight for the forgotten, that was how I was with like the forward movement of Satsung, right? It was my entire life. It was all I cared about, thought about my entire identity. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and COVID for me with that pause, I just had so many revelations. It was like, no, man, this thing's going. There's no reason that it would stop unless I make it stop and I'm not going to make it stop. So I'm going to quit fucking obsessing over this thing, stressing myself out, making myself sick, you know, like where are the ticket counts at? Was this, you know, how's this happening? Yeah. What are we doing here? And just be like, no, man, I believe that I'm doing what I was put here to do. I believe that you were doing what you were put here to do. So there has to be a level of trust in that, that like, if you're doing the next right thing, I'm doing the next right thing. Mm -hmm. God in the universe will do nothing but conspire with us to make sure that it keeps going. Yeah, I love that. And I think it, what you just said was stoic philosophy in a way to do the next right thing. And for me, that took a lot of weight off where it was like, ah, because addicts, we yep. have anxiety and stress about the future. We have regret and shame all connected to the past. It's really hard sometimes for us to live right here, right now. And uh, I think it's the summum bonum that says, whether you're hungry or well-fed, thirsty or well-hydrated, whether you're tired or well-rested, whether you're loved, hated, honored, despised, just do the next right thing. And the rest doesn't matter. And it's like, wow, yeah. It is that just simple. do the next right thing. Yeah, it's that simple. The rest doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, just be here now, do the right thing, and everything's going to work out. And it's going to happen exactly the way it should. Not that you shouldn't have plans and goals and stuff like that, but you're not going to get to those goals if you're fucking stressed. And that's all about it for them. me. And that's what I tell people all of the time is it's like, okay, you know, they're like, well, how do I be present and have goals? I said, well, that's really easy. Okay, so your goal is over here. Work backwards from that thing. Mm -hmm. So you're making a series of things. So then you're not looking at this laundry list of things. There's always just one thing in front of you that must be done. And then yeah. once that thing is done, you feel like it's complete. Okay, well, cool. What's the next phase of this? Because now this will be my focus rather than like, okay, I have these 18 things I need to do. It's like, no, right now you have one thing to do. And then when that is done, you'll have one more thing to do. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you can view it in that way, rather than like, you know, yeah, you'll just get eaten alive if you, if, if you look at it the other way. Um, yeah. So one thing that I want to ask you about and talk to you about is, are you going to fight again? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm, you know, yesterday I, t I tweaked something on me and, um, but I'm, I'm coming back. And so I, I see that the opportunity I have with fighting, it's a limited window. Can't do it forever. Yep. Um, and I am 34 and I started fighting at 19 professionally. And so uh, I've had these gaps in my career, um, which I think some, you know, I'm more on the Dominic Cruz side of things where there is no ring rust. Yeah. Um, now, of course, you there's muscle memory, there's timing, there's distance, there's all that stuff. But I, I really think it's a state mentally. And if I'm going into the fight and I'm thinking, oh, I haven't fought because I had a shoulder surgery, I had a divorce, and I went to rehab and all that stuff, which is legit stuff. But if I think, oh, well, now these guys have an edge. It's like, no, I, I actually still have the edge because like these guys are just fighting for a paycheck and I'm fighting for a paycheck too. But 
I'm fighting so that I can do this. I can grab the mic. I can talk about my purpose. I'm, I'm going to literally have in my corner, we might have someone, our team leader from Uganda. We're, we're trying to see if we can bring him back for the fight. Uh, but we're also going to have Raiden, who was incredibly bullied that we rallied yes, around. Yes, I love that story, he, man. Yeah, now he's doing uh, jiu-jitsu, and he got in the ring and sparred with me. Uh, we're going to have Chris, who we helped, uh, you know, reconstruct. And Miracle Smile Chris is what I call him after he got hit in the mouth of a metal baseball bat. And we're going to have donors and friends and people that we've impacted stateside. And I'm going to be able to talk about, you know, this podcast that I hope becomes one of the most meaningful podcasts in the world. It's called Overcome with Justin Wren for the listeners, but I'm, you know, I've, I've got too many reasons not to, and I want to, and I, I know I don't have to. So, uh, that to me, dude, something I really want to commend you on not to cut you off, but I think is so important for you to hear. We have both seen so many fighters that have fought well past when they should have fought. Yeah, for sure. And it was because they didn't build anything else. They said, nope, I'm a fighter, live by the sword, die by the sword. This is all I'm doing. Yeah. Which, when you're young, hell of a mindset to have. But, like, you know, I'm, I'm friendly with TJ Dillashaw. He's another one that's done a very good job of building things outside of fighting. So, like, TJ's fighting right now because he wants that fucking belt back. He's not fighting because his livelihood and world depends on it, you know? Right. Um, and I just really want to commend you for everything that you've done outside of fighting because not a lot of guys do that. And it's really cool to see someone that has the foresight is intelligent enough um, to build something outside of it. And for you, you didn't start, you know, some like fucking real estate company to like, you know, you've, you've used your heart to build the things outside of fighting for yourself. Yeah. So you're not going to be left, you know, selling used cars, thinking about the glory days. You're going to be like, oh, yeah, no, dude, I'm still hard in on everything I'm doing. This is this is as beautiful and as meaningful as anything I've ever done. Right. Um, it's been so cool to see you build it, man, with with the podcast, with Fight for the Forgotten, um, with the partnerships that you're accruing because of your podcast and all the things you're doing. Like, right. I'm just genuinely as your friend i'm genuinely supremely proud of you thank you, you know, I, I i received that really proud of you while you eat your was that a radish or a strawberry strawberry okay first <laughs> of the radish <laughs> i was like i don't think radishes uh, go like that. so uh i um you know i'm really grateful uh for you your friendship um you've been there for me through great times and hard times and really difficult times. And then, uh, you know, you've helped help remind me of what's important. And what's really important is that I become the best version of myself so that I can be the man that I want to be to Amy, to her girls, to, as the founder of Fight for the Forgotten, as having this platform with the podcast, whether it's being on a podcast like yours. Um, and then, And then the opportunities are just rolling in where it's like, I mean, we, we really need a sustainable base of donors. We're trying to get monthly donors that, you know, people feel like they can't give, you know, $100,000 or a million dollars. And it's like, yeah, you don't have to. Like, you can give what you give at Starbucks, like once a month. And uh, just one, once a month or once a week, like decide not to have a coffee that day. And 
give instead and join our fight club. You know, it's going to be $5 a month. It can be $25 a month, whatever is reasonable for you. And, uh, and then that gives us a sustainable base and a wider net of like an army. We've had thousands of donors from all 50 states and 60 different countries. That to me blows my mind. Um, I think it's more than 60 countries now. And it's been like worldwide support. Now we just want to get those donors where some have even more of a buy-in. It's a one-time gift of five bucks. It's like, let's do that every month if you can. And so, um, but for me, you know, like, I think, I think fighting is an incredible opportunity, but it's not the end-all be-all. And I've, I've, I've really been, um, you know, I, I heard Shaquille O'Neal. He's, he's a great example of like, diversifying and and, yeah. and like that and being an incredible personality but a but a good good dude and um he 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 shared this thing on social media not too long ago and it was he spent a million dollars in 30 minutes he bought himself whenever he got his first check from his tops cards he went out and bought himself a mercedes-benz right after that his dad was like well, aren't you going to get me one? So he bought his dad one. And his mom's like, well, aren't you going to get me one? He bought oh that. Oh, my God. More. And um, <clears throat> and he honored his parents in the ways like, I wouldn't be here without him, you know. But uh, all of a sudden, his, his banker called the next day, or president of the bank, and said, Shaq, we got to talk. If if you go this way, you're going to be like everyone else that you haven't had your eyes open to. You're with nothing. And um, And anyways, I think that it's been hard seeing some of my friends and some fighters that have done so much and then have so little. Um, and then their identity tied to who they were as an athlete. It's yeah, like, it's very wow. sad. Yeah. Have, you're so much more than that. Yeah. And we have, um, I got asked to work, um, to work at the bare knuckle fights this weekend, which dude, I'm pro freedom. <laughs> to a point of idiocy you know i'm like if, if you want to do anything where it's your skin in the game it's not my job to tell you you can't do that it's not anyone's job to tell you you can or shouldn't but there's two guys fighting who you know who i won't say their names but because of ct scan requirements they've been denied fights in other states which is why they're doing them in montana because montana is an unsanctioned state um, and I've had this moral dilemma the last week because a friend of mine from North Carolina is fighting on the card and I wanted to go see her. I don't think I'm going to go. Um, which, you know, is just speaking to what you're saying that it's so sad that there was nobody a, if that not only if they didn't have it in themselves, but I see it a lot with coaches that go, no, you need to keep fighting because I need yeah. that 10% of your purse. Rather than, man, I love you and care about you enough that I want you to know your grandchildren's names. If if you haven't, that's that's incredible. And the reason I spoke in so quick was you, if you haven't had Trevor Whitman on your podcast, you probably should. Um, yeah, I'd love to connect with him. He's one of the, one of my favorite minds in yeah. martial arts. Do you remember him throwing in the towel, stopping for Nate Marquardt? Yep. Mothers? Uh He's a guy that will stop a fighter from hurting themselves in the in the ring in the cage, um, and he'll take the heat and he'll 
he'll have the fighter mad at him, the manager's mad at him, the fans mad at him, but he's the guy that knows the fighter and if they're really okay better than the referee does. Yep. And uh, I have so much respect for him because he'll have those hard conversations. It's well, like, it's important, man. Like we saw in that Gaethje Tony Ferguson fight, the way that Tony was reacting to some of those shots was that is not a normal reaction to a punch to the head. Yeah. His body would kind of like twitch and quiver. And it's like, who the fuck is over there, man? That isn't yeah. like, no, man, I care about you enough to go, nah, dude, you'll fight another day, but we're, we're done here. Like, yeah. how many times? And, that, and to me, that's so commendable as a coach to have the heart to do that. Like, that is so much more than like, nope, to the end, to the end. Like, that's some 1990s football coach bullshit. It's like, dude, yeah. we're talking about people getting punched and kicked and elbowed and kneed in the brain. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there comes a point where it's like, yeah, what's more important, man? You winning a fight or in the case of the fights this weekend, getting to say you got one more in or living a life that's fulfilled where you can like actualize your potential outside of the ring and who knows what you might do. You might start a fucking charity that <laughs> brings water to tens of thousands of people, man. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bummer. And I, um, like I said, the thing that's, that's great with you is that I thought was really funny is I asked you, you know, have you ever been knocked out? And you're like, no. I said, have you ever had your bell rung? And you said once. And I thought it was so funny that it was Roy Nelson that rung your bell. Cause I was like, yeah, dude. I mean, I couldn't even imagine taking a shot from Roy Nelson, but I think it, it speaks a lot to how you fight. Cause like, dude, I've never even had a sanctioned fight. I've just sparred. I had three concussions last year, oh, you know? Wow. Yeah. So I'm like, Oh, uh, the fact that you've only been like had one moment that you can point to where you're like, yeah, you yeah. know, the, I, <laughs> I, I definitely knew I wasn't right after I took that shot. Like, you know, I think you have a lot left in you. And, dude, you were a, a freak athlete. Like, phenomenal philanthropist, amazing human being, one of my dearest friends. But, like, I always forget, because our relationship is predicated on, you know, all of these other things. Um, you know, when we were training that day with, with Shanji, who I just had on the podcast, man. I'm just so oh, in love with that fucking guy. Um, with Shanji, Lovato, Tim Kennedy, and Steiner that day, like to watch you work with guys at that high level and maintain dominant position and hip toss people, I was just like, oh yeah, <laughs> that guy's a unit, you know? <laughs> like he might be this super sweet teddy bear of a dude that I know is my friend, but like that's a dangerous dude, <laughs> you know? Like, um, so Thanks, yeah, bro. dude, I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, to see you fight again yeah. um i'm so excited I think it's gonna be first first quarter first half of next year uh so first quarter i wanted but we might be in on a trip to uganda with potentially manny pacquiao who's running for president that's potentially, amazing potentially dustin poirier uh and his wife jolie potentially jared padalecki from here in austin who's a actor and incredible dude um and yeah maybe even a guy named misha collins who's doing some fundraising for us who is another actor that's an incredible dude has an organization called random acts it's an incredible organization people want to check it out randomacts.org but we're going to partner potentially together and uh do some great things so well i'll be there i'll fight 
Yeah. I, I will I will legitimately cancel any anything that is on my calendar to make sure that, that me and Summer are there. Summer's never come to fights with me. Not when I'm coaching, not when I'm cornering up. Uh, yeah, I could Maybe be there too. Y'all can sit with Amy then. Yes. Um, well, yeah, dude, tell everyone where they can find. I'll let you go. I know you have um, another thing this morning. So tell everyone where they can they can find you and what you're working on. Yeah, so uh, they can find me at the Big Pygmy. Oh, yeah. On uh, Instagram, uh, some of their their calls in the forest, but uh, used to be the Viking. I'm the big pygmy, P Y G M Y. Um, and then the podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can listen to Overcome with Justin Wren. Wren is W R E N. We've had some incredible guests, one of my favorites being Drew McManus, Satsun, hey. and uh, yeah, Zach Bitter, the ultra marathon world record holder five times, running across America for Fight for the Forgotten from the Brooklyn Bridge to the Golden Gate. Incredible people like Jared Padalecki. We're having Tom Segura coming up next. Oh, shit. Tim Kennedy's going to be on there. Tim Dillon's going to be on there. There's going to be some, some great guys. I love it, man. Well, I'm, again, bro, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. Um, I'll see you in December at the latest. Yes, absolutely. We, we promoted that on my show and uh, just released. So I'm hoping we're going to get some uh, two shows. Out of I hope the, we get two you know. shows too, man. Yeah. Any excuse to hang in Austin. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love you. Give my best to Amy, bro. And um, I'll talk to you again soon. Well, man, much love. So much love. All right. I deserve to be here, and so do you. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to you soon, my guy. All right, that was Justin Wren, and I'm Drew McManus, and that is another episode of the Satsung Podcast. Um, I have some cool guests coming up. Um, There's been a whirlwind. Um, A lot of these I recorded before tour. They're getting released in kind of a weird order, but I'm home now until March. Uh, I got to go to L.A. at the end of January, but other than that, I'm fucking home until we go back on the road. Um, we're going to get my buddy Brady, who is the founder of Go Fast, Don't Die. We're going to have him on. Um, I want to have my coach, Will Grunhauser, on. Uh, he's a huge part of my life and an interesting cat. Um, but I got, uh, oh yeah, we have an actress, a Venezuelan actress coming on the podcast. Um, anywho, cool guests, as always. Um, yeah, as mentioned before, head to onnit.com, use code SATSUNG at checkout. They got fucking clothes, workout gear, and the finest supplements on planet Earth. I will see you guys next week. God bless y'all. Be kind to one another. Drink water. Peace. <laughs>